0: I'm Jalen Bishop and I'm Getting
1: Cozy with Erin. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. Today, I have with me the illustrious Jalen Bishop. She is a beautiful comedian that I met on a cruise ship actually a couple months ago, and her energy and her vibe just blew me away. This lady is hysterical. She has so many amazing stories. And she's gonna tell us all about how she grew up and how she got into being a comedian. Jalen, welcome. Thank you. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I got a clap for you, girl. Yes. Welcome, welcome. So, Jalen, you're in LA, correct? Right. Tell us kind of how you became a headliner for it's the Punchliner comedy clubs on Carnival Cruise Line, correct?
0: Right. That actually came to be um, – I was on a show called America's Funniest Mom. Um, I didn't win. Don't worry. <laughs> I didn't win. Um,
1: but you placed but, You placed uh, pretty high, right?
0: Yeah, I was third. third
1: uh, and, uh, good know, job.
0: Third, third is always the best. And I'm like, yeah, but third doesn't get the check. So thank you.
1: <laughs> Still, that's very um, impressive. But
0: um, on the show, I kept wanting to be – on cruise ships, because I had some friends that were on cruise ships, and I told my manager at the time, let's, you know, really look at getting some cruise ship work, and I just couldn't, I couldn't get any work, like, and it took about a year, and they weren't really responding, and then finally, it was a couple years later that I just said, oh, let me start trying to look at it again, and I talked to one of the, the women that was booking the show, And she said that, you know, she would put me on and everything. And then it was six months later, and the woman never called us back. So every day, I called her with a different character voice. I called her as my grandmother. I called her as my mother. I called her as my father. I called (laughs) her every day. And I was like, "Gee, for six months, this lady can really – she's got some some toughness. She won't even call me back. Turned out the lady had gotten fired. So – Long story short, I finally figure out who's booking the show. I do a show with Will Farrell, who was at this church in Los Angeles, Greater Los Angeles Church, which is a huge African-American congregation in Los Angeles. And a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to do the show. I said yes. It was last minute. They put me on the flyer and a little, bitty, tiny spot on the flyer. And they said, Will Farrell's going to be there. And I was like, you ain't got to lie. I'll come. What would Will Farrell be doing at a predominantly black church? <laughs> but he was there because he was practicing his letter on the Oscars when he did a letter to the Oscars. His trainer happened to be the deacon at that church. So he really was there. And so the whole cast of Mike and Molly were there. I go up and I'm a church girl through and through. I was almost born on the pew. I love it. So... When it was at church, nobody knew me. Everybody has had all these long credits and everything. And I went up right behind one of my friends that had been on Saved by the Bell for years. So everybody knew her. Will Ferrell had just went up. They knew the host. They were looking forward to the other three comedians that they knew. And it was just me. Mm -hmm. I come dancing down the center aisle, and I just went into my... Being a church girl, I got a standing ovation. Oh. It was 800 people in there. And the next day, Will Farrell called and said, Hey, what can I do for you? And I said, Hey, I wouldn't mind you calling Carnival Cruise Ship. And right. that's how I got on
1: Carnival. Oh, my gosh. What an amazing story. And you and Will are like friends now, right? No, he never talked to me again. Um, <laughs> But to be in the presence of Will Ferrell, I mean, and especially in such a random location, you know, you weren't expecting it and... I mean, good for you for, you know, getting what you need and what you wanted. (laughs) I think that's amazing. And I have to say, her dancing is on point. When I saw her dancing, you were dancing on stage before you performed. And I was like, who is this crazy lady? She is having the time of her life. And then I realized, too, that you were the comedian going on. And I thought, that is so smart because you had everyone's attention. You had everyone's eyes on you. And I loved your energy. You just have crazy amounts of energy, and I just I'm here for it. That's it's just incredible.
0: Thank you so much. The dancing kind of started because I have an aunt who has MS and who loved to go to clubs. She would just dance and dance and dance and dance all the time. And uh, when we first found out that she had MS, I was just like, Oh my God! Oh. And she said, Don't cry. Just when you hear music if I can't dance, you dance for me. Anytime I hear music, I celebrate her dancing. Now, Aww. she has she's had MS for close to maybe 15 years, and I think she might be lying, because <laughs> she's still dancing and walking and all of that. Oh, that's
1: great. What a beautiful story. I love it. So, Jalen we want to know what your childhood was like. Were you always wanting to be a comedian? Did you always feel when you were younger that that was kind of the path you were going to take?
0: I just was always an oddball. Like, I was always one of those kids that no matter what, like, I didn't really fit in at home because everybody else at home was really, really light, and I was the only person that was brown. I didn't fit in at home. I didn't fit in at school, because we moved from, like, a, a all-black neighborhood to an all-white town. So I was, like, I was the brownest person in my life. So I think that I didn't know how to handle that. So I started to, so that people didn't, like, say things. I just started doing silly stuff all the time. I think my silliness curbed, like, any, anybody being mean or... Or anything like that so it just that's how that came anytime something would happen I would I'd be in church reenacting church like I would sneak out the window at church (laughs) because we went to black church now don't get it wrong don't get twisted I think we went for the music but we went for black church (laughs) so we would go all the way back into a different city to have to go to this black church and when we would get there, my grandmother is a pastor, and she was an associate minister there. And they'd be up there just having, and we went to a Pentecostal church, so that's not like, um, oh, you know, that's like, yeah, mm, mm, mm. yes. And so I would watch them do that. Excuse myself, say I needed to go to the bathroom, slide out. I had a little <laughs> skirt, and I would pull this little garbage bag over my little skirt and slide out the back window. Oh. And I would go have church because it was in a rough area. So I would go have a sermon with the derelicts and the prostitutes.
1: No way. And I
0: would buy them, and I would buy them chicken. And the only way they got chicken is if they listened to my sermon. We would be having church and sometimes I would get caught and they'd be like... Who's that white lady? You better run, little girl. Here comes the white lady. I'd be like, Sherry White,
1: that's my grandma. And oh, my down gosh. The oh, that's
0: crazy. So I say that's where my first comedy routines would come into because I would basically become the pastor, and then I learned how to do characters because I would be the wino. I would oh, be the prostitute. Gosh. So I would do these characters. When I got home from my sisters, and they would think it was hilarious. I would do the pastor. We had an old lady at our church, and uh, I would do her. (laughs) And so everybody, that was a way that everyone in the house didn't really concentrate on me anymore. They concentrated on what I could do. They would always be like, oh, come over here. She's going to tell you something. Do, my grandmother would say, come do Sister Clyde. <laughs> and when all the, you know, when the church members would get around, I would come in and I would do Sister Clyde.
1: And Jalen, how old are you when you're doing all of this?
0: I was about maybe nine.
1: Oh, my 90's. gosh. That's and unbelievable. I
0: would do Sister Clyde. I would. I would do all these different voices. I would just, and it would just be looking at the person, watching the person for a little while, and then mimicking what they did. And wow. it would be good. I mean, it would be really good. I don't I doubt didn't it. I to do it for other people. I, I at that point, I didn't. I don't think I wanted to do it for other people. But I always knew, like really young, I wanted to be in Los Angeles. I wanted to be in Hollywood didn't think that I wanted to be a comedian until I got into school. And once I started going to school, uh, I realized that ABC thing wasn't as easy as everybody else thought it was. Mm. I really had an issue with reading. Like, it would just get, it was bad. So I would read ahead at night. I would wait until everybody was asleep. And I had a little miner's hat. And I'd turn the little light on in the bed, and I would just be sitting up under the cover, and I would read ahead so that when the teacher called on me the next day, I, I could read it. But it would, I'd have to practice all night. But in practicing, I would get tired and then like, oh, I'm going to go downstairs, and I'd watch TV. Oh, my god! And I started to watch, like, Benny Hill, and I would find BBC channels, and it, it would have, Monty Pausine, or it'd be The Tonight Show. And I started to see comedians. And I was like, oh my God, these guys are fantastic. And I really started to love what they did. And I was like, no matter what these guys' stories are, they put it together and it's okay. And that's when I think I wanted to become a comedian more so than I started really wanting to become a comedian. Well, and you grew up in New York. I lived in New York for a while, and but then I moved to Colorado. Okay. So I lived in Thornton, Colorado. When I lived there, there was twelve schools (laughs) and a really, really small community. When I lived there, now it's it's a lot bigger. You know, now there's we had one mall. It was a tiny town when I lived there, so it was just a, a it was like a newly developed town so and we would drive all the way to denver you know to go to a, a black church which was, <laughs> which was hilarious it's like you know i'd been coming from this spanish and black neighborhood and now i go to an all white neighborhood that don't really even have no black people <laughs> they had one person of color one family of color and they were the pennies and i went up to the kids thinking they were called they were the Penny Kids, but they weren't. They were just, people called them the Penny Kids because they were the color of pennies. And I was like, what? This is crazy. Oh, my God. It was a f- crazy way to grow up.
1: And you stayed in Colorado until when? When did you move to L.A.?
0: We moved to Denver after a while, and I ended up going to, uh, again, an all-white high school. And then I went to see you in Boulder. And so um after I left CU went back to Denver again and stayed a little while and then I um, I was an investment banker.
1: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, nobody believes this. Um, but my humor really got a lot of people to to want to invest with me. Oh, I'm sure. And so I ended up um getting I wanted to do stand up and my sister was like, "Hey, If you don't, she was like, you hate what you do. And I was like, no, no, no. She said, you hate what you do. So she told me to enter this contest because my sister was modeling at the time. So she said, if you can't do this contest, then I'm going to pick what you do. And I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. (laughs) And I won this new faces from John Casablanca, and it was called uh, New Faces Competition. I won it. Wow. And... I was like, oh, I can easily model. This is easy. All you got to do is put somebody else's clothes on and walk down the runway. And I was the worst at it. (laughs) I was making the girls walk funny, and I would be making jokes and wanted to eat all the time. Oh, my God. So they gave me back my $750, and I didn't even pay for it. They just gave me the entire amount of the (laughs) the winnings and said, don't come back. You animated for this. So my sister then said, you need to be a comedian. And I was already bouncing. I was a bouncer at (laughs) a comedy club. I was doing that part time. And she just called the club and told them that I said that I was the funniest comedian ever. And the club was like, okay, since you're so funny, you need to get up on stage. And I was like, but I didn't ever say that. (laughs) And then that was on a Friday by Tuesday. I had to have a three-minute set. Oof. So I went to one of the comedians. He helped me get a three-minute set. And I have been doing stand-up ever since. Oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. And I, I got paid. I That was two days. And did my three minutes, and he said, hey, there's a way that you'll know. I said, how would I know if I want to do this? He said, if you get off stage and say, hey, I'll never do this again then you will never do it again. But if you get off stage and say, ah, oh, man, I need just a little bit more time. And as soon as I got off stage, I am like, man, I need a little bit more time. Oh, good. My father gave me one of my first jokes. My whole family came to see me. My grandmother didn't see me because she was outside arguing with somebody, so she missed it. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but my father said, I said, oh, Dad, you know, we had a friend that was hearing impaired and i said oh I, I really want her to hear this thing and i said but i don't know how to do it and my dad said well uh, uh get it closed captioned and i said dad i'm on stage how am i going to get it closed captioned <laughs> right and he said well you you got to sign and i said well, i don't even know how to sign how, how would i sign hmm. he said well just start moving your legs So I started moving my legs in and out like I was signing. And as soon as I got on stage, I said, hey, you know, I have friends that are hearing impaired, and I really wanted to have my set closed captioned. So I act like I was, like, signing with my legs. And I said, but I couldn't find nobody to sign for me. And so I thought I'd do it myself. And then I go, oh, my God. Sir, did I miss that? Did I misspell that? (laughs) And then I just, (laughs) and that was My uh, very first joke and my father gave it to me
1: oh my gosh that's great
0: then after that I I moved back to New York and then I stayed in New York until five years ago and then I moved uh, to Los Angeles
1: oh okay so you've only been in LA for five years Mm -hmm. so we have to talk about which I am just so upset that I missed it Jalen was in Paramount Theater opening for the Isley Brothers, which is incredible. So tell us how that all came to be. How did you get that opener spot in such an iconic place with such an amazing, amazing band?
0: That really was – I am a very spiritual person. And uh, God and I, we talk all the time. Mm -hmm. And I literally was – Saying, you know what? I just want something new. I want something different. You know, I, I really love carnival and I have a great time. Literally, three weeks, I honestly said, God is my source and my supply. God is my source and my supply. For three weeks. Every time somebody said something, I would say it. Every time I had a minute to think, I would say it. Every time I, I would concentrate on it constantly, constantly. And I was doing Insecure, which is an HBO television show. That came by like nothing. I literally got off the ship one morning. That morning I had a, an audition. I went and I got Insecure. And I had a small part on Insecure. It's not big. Don't close your eyes because you'll miss it. <laughs> um, so that, as I was on doing Insecure, taping it from, from Wednesday to Friday I was supposed to tape, on Thursday, my manager called, me, what are you doing Saturday? And I said, mm, nothing. And he said, well, okay, i got to have a gig for you. You're going to open up for the Isley Brothers. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, you're going to open up for the Isley Brothers. And I literally went off. I went to do Insecure Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday morning. I was still on the Insecure set at 3am. My husband drove me to San Francisco and I was opening for the Isley Brothers at 7pm at the Paramount. Oh, wow. That's how it came about. Wow. I, you know, It just came so awesomely and they were fantastic men. i would met them before but It was just a fantastic show. They let me dance with them on stage. Oh, my gosh. During Tina Turner. Girl, I gave it to them. Don't worry about it. I gave it to them. I am
1: sure. I am so upset that I missed this because I absolutely would have gone. I'm less than an hour away, and I would have been there, and I would have been cheering you on and just enjoying every second of your entertainment. I am so happy you were able to do something like that. You know, that was probably – I would assume that would be on your kind of bucket list, you know, of your life. I mean, something like that is just such an honor, and and uh, I'm sure you just killed it.
0: It was so amazing, like, you know, when you get to do something, and you know because you've done things that have been uh, Pixar, you've done stuff like that, that you just, you're in that moment. Oh, yeah. So deeply entrenched that you don't really have time to keep marveling about it right you just have to get through it yes. and then after it's over you kind of go <gasps> uh-uh
1: right did that really happen I yeah
0: that. yeah You. you it, it's like in that moment you just have to keep it moving but once you have a minute to take a, a breath then it's just like what what happened oh this yeah so fantastic and so yeah it was just It was just fantastic. Like, I'm literally, after I got off stage and they came on stage, and I'm standing there, and Ernie, who's the guitarist, comes walking past me, playing his guitar, looking me in the face right before he goes on stage, Mm. giving me, like, the thumbs-up kid. I, I just stood there like, is this happening?
1: Take it all in.
0: Is this happening? I was grinning from ear to ear oh I'm sure I was grinning so hard that their stage manager was like you were excellent we loved you everyone had a great time hey do you want they're going to pick women to dance Did you I was like yeah yeah yeah
1: he <laughs> didn't even finish the sentence <laughs> <laughs>
0: And he was just like, oh, you are a hoot. And I was out Aww. there dancing so hard that I actually had Ron Isley laugh into the mic. And he was like, oh, he was like, woo. this was like, Tina would be proud of you.
1: You have footage of any of this? Do you have, I mean, photos, footage, any
0: video? I don't know if I have. I'm sure somebody taped it. Okay. But I think that I, I did not because I was too busy in it. My husband was uh, there being, he was talking to people. So I don't even know if he saw that part because he was actually talking. And and my uh, manager was actually getting my money. If I had him, so. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: well, if you find any of that, I would love to see it. any I'm of sad. your
0: listeners were there and they have footage, hey, send it to us.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely, people. Please, please, please do that. We got to see this. <laughs> we got to see this. But I just, oh my gosh, I have to ask you a question. So when you're on stage and you're performing, do you have kind of like an out-of-body experience where you can't really listen to what you're saying because then you might like lose track of your your thoughts or like where you're going, your punchline or anything like that? Do you have like an out-of-body experience?
0: There's two shows that I always tend to have. And one of the shows is where you're very conscious of what you're doing Mm -hmm. and it's very robotic. I think those shows come off good. They're not wonderful. I should actually say there's three shows. There's one show where you just kind of are in the flow and you know what's happening. You're not connected to the material at all. Okay. So the show doesn't go well. Interesting. And I always say that's when I say every word verbatim and I am truly not there. I'm not present. And when you're not present in the moment, that show tends to be not very good. Now, and and not very good doesn't mean that you bomb. It just means that it's not as good of quality as what you could have given, as what you normally give. It's just there. The other one is doing your show that you know you do the show, but you put fun into it, and you know that you're going to have fun. That, I still am very aware of what I'm doing. And the third one is that out-of-body experience that she talked about, that total God experience where the gift just makes room for itself, where I literally am just a vessel. I will get on stage knowing that I came there for somebody to be healed, somebody to be filled, somebody to just forget about every pain and worry that they had for that 30 minutes. And when I open myself to that, And it's not every day. It's not all the time. It's random. Sometimes it's every set. Sometimes it doesn't come. But when I do that, that's that out-of-body experience and soaring. You're just soaring. And when you get off stage, you're completely drenched, and you don't know what you said until Mm. hours later it'll come back to me, and I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I said that. And it won't even be. Sometimes it's not even... Anything that I had planned to say, but it's really when you let that gift take hold. That's where a lot of your superstars in any field live and exist. Yeah, I think like the Steve Jobs, in order to create something like Apple, you have to live in that zone. Prince, you have to live in that zone. Michael Jordan, you have to live in that zone. Um, Kobe Bryant, you live in that zone when you're on that platform that you came here to do because I, I truly do believe that I came to the planet to heal through laughter that's what I, I believe I came to do
1: well I am so glad that you feel that way because that means that you'll keep doing what you do and what you love and I hope that I get to see you live again one day I've never forgotten that set That I saw you, you know, on the ship. And uh, I was actually going through some things on the ship. So, you know, you kind of transported me out of my distress and and worry. And I was just – it felt like a gift. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing (laughs) that. It's always wonderful to have people affirm what you do. But just to say, you know what, what you did today made me feel this way. Yeah. always like – It's always – it's not even a compliment. It's just – it's affirmation, basically, when somebody says this happened. Because compliments are different, but affirmations are completely life-changing. So I really appreciate that because it makes me feel like, am I?
1: I appreciate you, and I'm so glad we were able to connect. And I just – I'm curious, where does your material come from? You are a mother. You do have children. but. Mm -hmm. Where does your material, does it just come to you? Is it just your life experiences? Is it motherhood? Really curious to hear about that.
0: It's mostly just life, what I've experienced. And it's my perspective. I always give my perspective on it. I don't really do like topical jokes at all, which means like, you know, what's happening currently in the world. I never really do that. I used to when I first kind of started, I kind of did, and then I realized, well, this is, I've got to change material too much. So I, I don't. I really just kind of, I like character-driven stuff. So I think even when I was younger, I came to it knowing that I like to bring, I'm comfortable on stage with having other people on stage with me. So when I say that, even though it's just me, if I have, you know, a... Uh, different character with me I always feel like there's someone else with me so that makes me comfortable so normally I do a lot of stories that would give me room to create other people so that I can sometimes I'm on stage with five or six people and it really is just me because I'll bring all these different people in the conversation and I'll become each one of those people so that's life base, I guess.
1: Yeah, and also a skill. Not everyone can do that, but it's really smart of you not to do topic-based because, like you said, you would have to change up your set so often because of pop culture and media. I mean, things just changed by the hour, I feel, right? So that's definitely a smart career move.
0: For 30 minutes, I want to take you out of that. Your cell phone's ringing every five seconds. I want to take you out of that. I want to take you out of Facebook. I want to take you out of Instagram. I don't want you to be immersed into that. I want you to think about your grandma, your mom, your dad, your, your kids, your dishwasher. I want you to think (laughs) about the random things in life that you have that are your life.
1: Like Like your
0: family is your life. It's not Instagram. It's not, you know, I, I want you to think about that.
1: Yeah, we're so caught up in all of that. And, you know, our phone has become our best friend. (laughs) And it's just, it's it's such a sad thing, but it's just the world we live in. So I love that you have, you know, that alternative, like, hey, put your phone down, put your phone away. I mean, I definitely was not on my phone when your set was on. That's for sure. I was riveted to every word and laughing my ass off. My cheeks still hurt the next day, for sure. (laughs) My cheeks were hurting. I remember telling my friend, my cheeks are still hurting from last night. She's like, oh, girl, me too. We just had the best time. So I just, I loved, I loved it so much. I hope you enjoyed getting cozy with the comedian Jalen Bishop. That concludes part one. Please stay tuned for part two and stay cozy.